What's going on, everybody? This is Sean from the From the Stands podcast. Listen, this was a heavy podcast. There was a lot that went on this week, and my brother and I came together to talk about it. Unfortunately, about 20 minutes in, the microphone cut out for my audio, so we apologize for the listening experience of this next podcast, but thankfully, what we felt was the most important and most impactful part of the podcast was recorded with a microphone. The rest of it, again, I apologize, but we have a lot of content coming. We look forward to hearing it. Ian, what a week. What a week in sports. Our last podcast was on Monday. We had the great Kyle Bukoskis on. And we planned to have another one later in the week. But we didn't feel it was right. A lot happened this week. We're going to get to it. Tell me about the week that was. The historic week that was in sports, Ian. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to really talk about in terms of how you and I can relate to something like this being, um, you know, obviously two white guys, but, you know, and being from Canada and being, you know, we have massive issues here. Um, but with the NBA being in, in the States right now, it would have been easy to sort of turn your brain off and think it's someone else's problem. And, this is all of our problems and we collectively need to come together and get our shit together with this. And the one thing I will say is that I'm proud as an NBA fan. I'm proud as someone who for fun talks about the league. I'm proud as someone who, you know, loves his team, loves the players, loves everything the league stands for. I'm just proud of everyone involved. I'm proud of the league. I'm proud of uh, team management. I'm proud of uh, the team governors. I'm proud of the players. Mostly, you know, obviously, most importantly, the players. I'm just, I'm so proud of how they handled this this week. And the NBA is the best. And it just is. It just is. I mean, we, we have gotten to the point where they are so much. The NBA means so much to our collective communities, um, to the world, everything. They mean so much because what they've become is they've become our societal barometer. And, you know, Adam Silver, all the governors and the players – it was, you know, I, you've seen media members and, you know, we're not necessarily media members at this time, but, you know, you've seen media members overuse the word powerful and that's, you know, sure. But that's what this was. This was powerful. It was everything. I was, I was moved all weekend. Yeah, you're right. I didn't feel like it was our place to talk about Casperi Kapanen trade or yep. um, talk about how, you know, how Indiana looked and all that other stuff that that just wasn't important i'm just i'm proud of the nba as a whole yeah and you know what you you kind of buried it a little bit um but 
but you corrected it, and I want to bring it back here. The players did this, which is without question, which is so unique. It's so unique. You know, you see a lot of the sports leagues, the NFL in particular, um, where you feel like the, the players don't have enough power in the in the NBA. In the NBA, though, it's a players' league, man. It's a players' league. The, the no helmet issue. They are front and center. They are box office, and they took this opportunity where they're all fe- they're away from their families. There is turmoil going on in the world, and they took this opportunity and just said enough. I don't know what. I, and this is what I find so powerful is that they're not standing up there saying that we have all the answers. There's no playbook that says this is how you end social injustice. There's no playbook that says this is how you end racism. Take these 10 steps and everything will be okay. They don't have the answers. But you got to do something. And the Milwaukee books came out and they did something by doing nothing. We're not playing. Everyone's, we want all the attention to be on this. And I know that it came across, and again, like I'm not, this is not me taking shots at the NBA ownership as a whole. The NBA is, please don't take this that way. It's not because they are very progressive. Um, but this was the players. The, the players, the players boycotted these games. They weren't postponed. They were boycotted. Well, hang, that, on. That's hang, on. hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang uh, on. This is absolutely players first, without question. But you'd see in other sports, we saw it in the WNBA. We, you see it in the NFL. You've seen it in, in Major League Baseball. <laughs> with man, oddly enough, with the Mets, but we can get to that. Um, but I would say the league and the owners deserve credit as well. Because I'm you've not, seen I'm in not, other leagues. Sorry. Hang on. You've I'm seen not taking credit leagues. away. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. You've seen it, but this is, the players deserve the bulk of the credit. There's no doubt. But you've seen owners in that league, commissioners in those leagues, that shut this stuff down. And, yep. you know, I, I, it was the, the late Texans owner who called, I, I think, you know, said the, something about inmates running, you know, the, the, insane, asylum, the asylum, made comments yeah. like that. And that stuff doesn't happen in the NBA. Maybe, you know, hey, maybe it happens behind closed doors. I'll, I'm, I'm not in the room. But they deserve credit for not only acknowledging that their players will do it, but standing side by side with I them. I agree with you. And acknowledging that change was something that needed to come from them. And what that is to me is we are in a situation with the NBA now where we have some of the most wonderful leaders on the planet running that league. Adam Silver. Masai Ujiri, LeBron James, Chris Paul. You know, we, th- these are the types of people that are, are, are in that, are running that league. Yes. And as fans, as people that are interested in trying to, trying to make all this right, and trying to, you know, wanting it to all, wanting it to get better and wanting us as white people to get our shit together. Well, and I think to that, be to, able to, to have those people lead the way. Yeah, and, and, we're and very I think, lucky for that. 
And I think that what they get a lot of credit for and, and that what my point that I was getting to was at the forefront, the leaders of this entire movement was the players. They're the ones that feel this the most. And to NBA's credit, the NBA didn't try and dictate a new agenda from everything that we're seeing, right? They didn't try and dictate a new agenda. They didn't try and pivot. They, they, they literally went in accordance with the players' wishes. And they did everything that they could to try and support it. Opening up polling stations, the owners after the, after those long conversations, opening up polling stations in, in all of their in all of their arenas. The NBA, you know, we saw in Cleveland like three major sports teams get together to basically start a coalition to help fight social injustice in the state of Ohio. Like they're now following the players' directive and kind of flexing their political muscle here a little bit, and that's what I liked. And yes, do I think that the NHL and the MLB missed the mark a little bit? Probably. Let's get let's get to that. But, let's get to but that. I want to, and, and let's let me lead it. Let me transition into that. I, the tough what, thing is the before tough thing you is, transition, before you transition, let's just put one thing in perspective. Before we came on tonight, Complex released a video of Fred Van Bleet's children getting to the Orlando bubble and seeing him and how special of a moment that was. So let's let's put this in perspective for a moment. We see every everything that's happening, Jacob Blake and you know, then you have this asshole kid comes in from Illinois and starts shooting people. Yep. And if you're a player and you're in this bubble, you're away from your family, you're watching this and could be there. I, I was yeah. shattered watching this whole thing happen. Yep. I can only imagine what someone in the NBA bubble is going through and to not have the ability to hug your significant other hug your kids, talk to your, you know, feel like you're close to get through something like that is heart wrenching to me. Well, and we saw, we saw with those, George too. Like we, we were killing the guy for his play. And then he, he comes out after game four, game five, and just says like, you guys understand, like, this is really hard uh, mentally and emotionally. Like this is really hard. And listen, I have kids. It was my son's third birthday today. You know, I, I going away for work and, if there was, you know, social unrest towards people who looked like me and looked like my family, I would be fucking worried. I would be nervous. I would want to be there to protect them, to be available just with them. And I can't imagine in that moment where you're watching people that look like you going through what they are and you have family at home that you can't be with. I can't imagine what that was like. But that's exactly why it's exactly why I never want to hear us be unappreciative of how lucky we are to support a league with such amazing people and amazing players because and we can transition to the MLB and the NHL's response right now. Yeah, why don't you go to they, LeBron. You know, they, Let's go to you LeBron. Know, there were but LeBron. there were a lot of people in other leagues who didn't handle themselves like the NBA did. And similar to when COVID hit in March, it was the NBA that started the trend of shutting everything down. And the same way that the NBA is going to be leading the charge against racism. And we have the amazing players in that organization to thank for that. And, and we look, I can criticize Paul George for not playing us enough. I get that. I get that. But at the end of the day, 
we need to be so appreciative for who these guys are as people. And we're lucky for that. Well, and we're talking about people. Um, I, I know you wanted to, to have a minute or two on LeBron. There was a lot of, listen, there's a lot of conflicting reports going around about this guy. You and I have been fans of his for a while, even though he's killed our teams forever. Uh, just mm-hmm. what he's meant, not on not just on the basketball court, probably more importantly off of it and, and his acceptance and willing to speak out against different issues and just kind of, you know, kind of put his, put his business on the line a little bit. You know, we, we're not, I know the China thing was one thing, but when it comes to domestic issues, he's always been upfront and outspoken. Now, there was a lot of conflicting reports. Some were reporting, like Chris Haynes were reporting, that he was pissed off about the Bucks and how they handled their situation and that they didn't talk to anybody. And the way that he was speaking in the meetings was condescending. And when he just left, it, it, it kind of rubbed people the wrong way. There was other reports that he didn't say a word. You have to assume it fell somewhere in the middle. And, and it seems like after you know, 12 hours, a good night's sleep, everything kind of came together and every, and they got to their senses. Obviously, it's an emotional day. It's an emotional time. But, you know, you, you, you can't knock the guy for being quiet and standing back. This isn't Republicans by sneakers too here. This, this, is something, this is something different. Well, and I think when we talk about LeBron James, we're talking about the most powerful athlete in the history of sports, period, end of story. And he flexed his muscle here big time. Because when he, when him and Kawhi basically said, we're not playing. So the report came out, I think it was Shams reported that the Lakers and Clippers were the holdouts. They would prefer yeah. the season to end. I fully believe that LeBron was ready to, to shut that down and not to play. But LeBron knows the type of sway he has. So he's flexing his muscle saying, if you owners who are some of the who are 30 of the most influential people on the planet, don't ride with us on this. I'm not playing. And I don't give a shit if I don't get my paycheck. What I care about, what I care about is getting this fixed. And all of this TV money that is here, that we are providing by playing these games, all that's going to go away. So you make a decision. You make a decision. You either link arms with us and we do this together, or we go the other way, and let's see where we are. Isn't that the bare minimum from an ownership perspective? Like, that, that, you shouldn't even be like how, you shouldn't need LeBron James to come to you and be like, "Hey, we kind of need to band together on this. We need your support." Like you said, there's the thirty of the most powerful people in the world who look like a lot of the people in power. Like, this this isn't that hard, guys. Like the 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 the, the path that you have to go down to get real change is one you have to imagine one of massive pain is very difficult, but support. I can't imagine this being like a conversation. But Remember, remember, I mean, in a, in a vacuum, yes. Supporting the yeah, team that you right. own. Yep. It should be the bare minimum. Well, support, but, right we've, wrong. but we have off. so, we have so much, we have so much evidence that suggests that ownership doesn't a lot of times, or maybe not a lot of times, but enough of the time, ownership views their players as entertainment and property. And and that's in all sports. You saw it with, again, you saw it with the late Texans owner. You saw it with Kelly Loeffler in the WNBA. Not all owners are like this. No. Okay. And now, now do, do the NBA owners have issues? Sure. They do. The, 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 the sexual misconduct issues with, 
the Dallas Mavericks from a few years ago, still to this day makes, makes my skin crawl. But with that said, they didn't just stand by their players. Don't talk about it, be about it. And right now they're being about it. And if you don't think that LeBron James, Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, these guys are going to keep pressure on their owners, then you're just crazy. I mean, Kawhi's owner is worth like $60 billion. Yeah, he's going to keep the pressure on there. So all in all, look, as I said, I'm proud of the NBA as a whole. And if you're a part of the NBA family, you'd be proud too. Yeah, and look, I hope they keep it up. I hope they keep pushing. I, ho- I, hope that, uh, I hope that the play doesn't deter this. I, I understand having a platform like that where everyone's together is massive. I do. I, I hope that the conversations continue to move forward and we're going to, we're going to jump past this a little bit, but I'm just going to say this 30 seconds here. You know, I, I know that you and I were a little bit critical of the MLB and the NHL on, on their decisions and kind of the, the timing, the cadence of it all and how they were. Oh, I, was a more, I was more than a little bit critical. Yeah. I was more than a little bit critical. I was disgusted. But you know what? It's um, it's one of those things that they ended up doing the right thing, and you know, it, it, it's tough. It's it's tough to know the right thing. You, 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 we figured the right thing to do was just follow the NBA's lead, just shut it, just let, let's let's take a break here, support our brethren, like just do that. Um, I'm sure in the moment it's got to be a tougher choice, but um, maybe that's me being a little bit more political than than needed, but. They, they, the NHL made the right call, and I thought what they had with Ryan Reeves and the guys out west uh, was extremely, extremely powerful. It's amazing. And look, I think that should the NHL have shut down the same day, yes. was unfair to put their players, their coaching staffs, and to put Sportsman and NBC's crew in that situation. It was completely unfair. Okay, I felt awful for the Christine Simpsons, the Chris Johnsons, the Jim Houstons, uh, you know, uh, Craig Simpson, I, I felt awful for them. Kyle Koskis, our boy, felt awful for him. But they made it right. And we're now we're in a situation in the NHL. Your PR thing has been solved. You did the right thing. Now, let's not talk about it. Let's be about it. So let's follow the lead of guys like Dumba, guys like Reeves, guys like Evander Kane. Let's follow their lead. Let's follow the lead. Let's not talk about it. Let's be about it. The one thing I'll say about the MLB, that entire organization disgusts me. And the reason I say that is because there was audio leaked uh, uh, regarding the Mets. And I believe it was the Mets and Marlins had a game where they had a moment of silence. Um, The moment of silence lasted a while. And then they left the day. The only thing they left on the field was they waved each other. Yes, they left that on the field. And they walked out. And there was audio leaked where the GM of the Mets, the Mets Mets management staff, management staff was talking to the media about how Rob Manfred wanted them to pause the game for an hour and go back out there and play. And I've said this since we started this podcast, this dude does not get it. He does not get it. And the fact that, that, it had to come to leaked audio to understand how much of a dipshit this guy is was disgusting, was disgusting. And we know there are people in the MLB that, you know, that ride for the other side, you know, that ride, you know, with Trump and all that other nonsense, Aubrey Hubby and one of them that 
cannot, that message cannot come from your commissioner. If you're Rob Manfred, get your act together, start to read the room and start to guide your league in the right direction. Because I promise you, there are millions and millions and millions of people that aren't going to tune into your nonsense because of what you're doing to the sport. Well, it's a sport that is very much trended away from people of color and has become less appealing. Less. I wonder why. Yeah. And, uh, Good old pastime isn't isn't looking good here, but you know what? Um, I, I want I want to say this because we've done twenty minutes on this, and you and I said we were going to cap out at ten. I want everyone who's listening to understand what Ian mentioned off the top. We're just two white kids from Canada talking about this. This is just our perspective, um, and we can't imagine the pain that some people are going through, and we just we need we needed to talk about it though. This is very important. This is was the most historic moment in sports for me. And I, I know it was for you. And it's something that we're not going to forget. And it's something that can't be forgotten. Something that needs to be built upon. So, um, Ian, I, I don't know how to transition, but let's transition to some, to, to some other sports topics. And hopefully, hopefully put a... a Hopefully, and entertain some people. So there were sports this week. After the shutdown, there were sports. One that you and I are very, very passionate about, Ian. And that is the Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors started the second round of the playoffs against the Boston Celtics. As we said, we did not want to have a preview podcast. We didn't feel it was the time. So we're going to kind of use this as kind of a before and after. We know what happened. What happened to the boys in game one? There's a lot of places I can go with this. Um, but I think let's start out with the fact that we just weren't ready to go. And, you know, I'm not going to put that on the players. It was it was an awful week between, you know, everything that was going on um, with, you know, with the, the, the postponed games um, and the, you know, the thing potentially getting shut down. There's a lot going on. So I don't want to put that on the players. Um, Boston was sharp, ready, engaged, had tons of energy, and we just weren't. We came out, we're sloppy, um, we were slow. It just it wasn't Raptors basketball. And I could tell within the first two minutes, having watched, you know, basically every minute of this Raptors season, I could tell we just didn't have it. And it was the same energy we had when we played the Celtics the last time. And Jack right. Armstrong mentioned that on the broadcast a few times. Um I think, you know, I think where we should start is let's start out with this. Let's start out with something positive. Oh, you don't want to start out with if it's too early to panic. No, no, no. We'll get to that. I got lots to panic about. But let's start out with this before we get to all the things I want to panic about. This Toronto Raptors team is a carryover from last season. And as you know, last season's Raptors weren't, uh, weren't your famous old Raptors. They had a resilience, they had a level-headedness, and they had a almost a stubbornness about them that previous Raptors teams didn't have. They didn't have that, that fortitude that when adversity came, it was rollover time. This Raptors, this new wave Raptors are not, they're not like that. And I fully expect that when we tip off a 5:30 Eastern tomorrow that they are going to be ready to go and that Mr. Kyle Lowry is going to be the engine 
of, of that bounce back. This is a strong team. This is a team that has been there. They are not going to shy away from the moment. Let's go get it in game two. Now so, we can get in some panic. Can we, can we talk a little panic? Okay. Yes. Um, I wouldn't panic. Honestly, I wouldn't. I, I know that they exposed a lot of, a lot of weaknesses, a lot of issues. Um, you, you mentioned slow. They, put, they were so slow. I know that they're the best transition offense in basketball Boston is, I think, the fifth best transition defense. They were only crashing the glass with their centers, so four players were coming back right off, of, right off of a shot, shot attempt. They were ready to build that wall to kind of protect against the transition offense, which obviously, as you know, takes Pascal Siakam out of what makes him so special. And I'm texting you through the entire game. Go to the freaking basket. Go to the basket. Like, they don't have anyone to guard it. They don't have rim protection. What, Robert Williams the third? Get out of here with this. Well, I think I, I think the important part is, is that we were playing in a half court for a lot of the time. Yes. But we weren't doing what we should be doing in the half court. I think we started to do it later. No, we didn't move. They didn't move, but we, we also weren't doing – we also weren't – weren't picking on their biggest weakness and their biggest weakness is Kemba Walker. Kemba. Now, Kemba. because of their wings, Boston is going to be able to, to switch and, and, and run back and recover and all that other stuff. And that's, that's what makes them really good. That's what makes Boston really good and really scary. With that said, you should be putting Kemba in every action you can. And the, the offense can't go from a team that wants to run to a team that wants to run a yeah. high, low Marcus all yeah. post post for yeah. Siakam. I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry. I understand that Nick and the guys feel like we have a mismatch with C- and let's just get to Siakam right now. I I understand that we feel like we have a mismatch with Siakam with, with whoever he's guarding, whoever's guarding him. I understand that. Okay. We cannot live and die on Pascal Siakam being in the post. He's not Akeem Olajuwon. He's not Shaquille O'Neal. He's not Kevin McHale. Let's let this go. Let's let this go. Siakam is a dynamic cutter. He's killer on the break. Pretty good spot up shooter now. We don't need him taking pull ups or running in the or, or we don't need to be running post touches for him. This we we this isn't what the the Magic tried to do with Dwight Howard. Let's stop this. We don't need to do that. Let's you go after Kemba. Let's go after Kemba. Okay. Let's. Get our guards running and moving and cutting. Let's get Norm running and moving and cutting and make them, you have to make the defense make decisions. If Pascal Siakam is going to hold the ball for 12 seconds. Stand on an island. Yeah. With Marcus Smart, you're not making the defense make decisions. You are allowing them to live with whatever shot you put up. You have to make them make decisions and make their worst defenders make those decisions. Kemba Walker is exhibit A of that. Well, and I, I, I agree with you 100%. And I think that our guards, when they got downhill, they made an effective, they made effective plays. You know, you, you, you watch Fred Van Vliet, but, you know, Kyle wasn't engaged early. That was obvious. He, he was terrible in the first half. Yeah, and three what, turnovers and what, early. Yep. And what he, what he showed in the second half was if you put, he can put his head down and get by his defender. And there's no one there to meet him at the rim. and. Freddie did it too early. He, he had a couple moves, but then he started pulling up. And, and again, Fred's a great three-point shooter. I want him taking those threes, but it felt like it was like six seconds or eight seconds into the shot clock, and they hadn't tried 
to make anything happen. They, to your point, Ian, they didn't get the defense uncomfortable. And they need to get this defense uncomfortable because they have that ability. You know, we want to talk about some of the adjustments that they can make. First and foremost, I have a made an adjustment that I'd love to see. First and foremost, their two centers, if you go through, you know, we're starting the series, we're doing a preview pod. It's like, okay, like we did with the Leafs and the Blue Jackets, offense, defense, all that check marks. Centers, that needs to be a massive check to the Toronto Raptors. It has to be. And it wasn't. They were awful. I know Serge had 12 early and was literally the only person scoring. He became a non-factor after the first quarter. And the second thing that I want them to do, because they need to be better, I'd love to – you and I love when Mark is on the elbow. Get him in the post. Everyone's buzzing around that guy. He's finding cutters. He's finding open guys for three. Do that, not with Pascal. The second thing, I want Pascal to be more the ball handler in the high pick and roll. Have Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet come set that screen to bring Kemba Walker to Pascal. And then you oh, get Pascal you, you, downhill. You, you get Pascal downhill. You Oh, you, mm-hmm. you want to switch with Kemba? Lunch. Oh, you want to try and, you want to try and, uh, and navigate the screen? Pascal's quick enough and there's no rim protection. I want to see a little bit more of that. And he found a lot of success this year with the high screen and roll as the ball handler pulling up for three making reads and, and making the, the right adjustment to the play. I thought OG was great. I love how OG cuts on the baseline uh, mm-hmm. out of the corner and, and mm-hmm. does that. And you saw their three best players. And this is where I have optimism. And I know you were texting me. You were saying Boston is just the better team. That was legit the worst that, especially in the first half, that Kyle, Fred, and Siakam have all played together since we've watched them play together. And so if they just regress to the mean, for game two, they're within striking distance. And I want you to jump in here. My only caveat is we also saw a little bit of a average Jason Tatum. Yeah, and, and Jason's the best player in the series. And yeah. that, to me, is a little scary. But here's here. So we have reasons to panic, number one. The Siakam as your alpha one. And unfortunately, we haven't lived in a universe all year where Siakam has been the alpha one. Even if Siakam is getting the bulk of the production, Kyle is driving the bus. Yes. And, and there's no, there should only come possessions where Siakam's like, hey, man, let me drive. But at the end of the day, Kyle is, is driving the bus. And so Siakam is, is definitely a worry. Now, and I mentioned this on Twitter, Nick Nurse I'm sure is going to be defending Siakam when he plays great in game two or game three and say, Hey, listen, all you people that turned on him, I am not turning on Pascal Siakam. I think that dude is awesome. Okay. I think that his growth from um, his growth from barely, barely playable NBA guy to genuine star and max player is as remarkable as I've ever seen. But it's also important to remember that growth was so fast. It's, if he's not necessarily ready to be the alpha one on a team with title aspirations, that's okay. But they don't need him to be an alpha one to be boss. I know, I know that. They, but they were they just, need, playing, they just need him to not right. Yes. They were playing as if he was. And he yeah. doesn't need to be. Now, you're gonna get fans that are upset at Siakam. I understand why they'd be upset. Okay. He played poorly. And when you sign a four-year $130 million contract, I'm sorry that comes with expectations. And Look, the fans are fanatic. They are rational. That's what makes them 
That's what makes sports the, the massive industry that it is because people are so passionate about it. 130 million, I'm sorry, there's expectations. And if you go, if you go to, it's like what Casey used to do, JV. He used to throw him a couple post touches. Post, post yes, touches. yes, if he did. he's working, keep it going. If it's not, abandon it and forget it ever happened. Uh, and in comes Mayor Johnson. Yeah. Now, do I think that, that Nick Nurse should do anything to when Casey did? No, under no circumstance. But if you're Nurse and you see how the Siakam post is going, let's go away from that. Let's start getting Pascal into situations that are better. Let's try getting him into pin downs where he can take 13 footers or where he's cutting off Mark and Kyle actions, stuff like that. Get him comfortable. We don't have to, you know, all these Leaf fans screamed and yelled when Sheldon Keith put Neyland in the situation of playing center. And there were some Leaf fans who said, well, it's unfair to put that player in that situation. So why are we doing in that, that moment? Yeah. In that moment, we don't need to. We don't need to. Our team is good enough as it is. Let's they, not force it, and let's let's get diverse with our approach. And I think that he they gave him because again, if you the first quarter they gave him those post touches. He was on the right elbow with the post touches and had three gimmies and missed all three. And I know that what they're trying to do is just they want Siakam to see the ball go through the hoop. The guy's shooting. Under 40% since the bubble started as a whole. His, his three-point shooting is tanked. And, again, he trended downward in the regular season as uh, Fred Van Vliet's usage rate, usage rate went up. But you know what? But he's still – he's not a scrub. This isn't him. And I think that what you need for Pascal Siakam – like, if you're talking about, like, get Pascal comfortable, Pascal needs to be moving. Pascal needs to be making runs. He needs to be making people uncomfortable. And they have a lot of wings that they can throw at him. They, we, I know, did you listen? I'm sure you listened to Bill Simmons' podcast. And this is just a person who's a Boston fan. I'm not referencing you, you know, a podcast legend. You it's know my just, rule. You know my rule. When the Raptors lose in the playoffs, I'm zero dark 30. Shut up. I, I, well, I didn't know. I didn't even know. Uh, like, you asked me the hockey scores from yesterday. The only reason I knew was because I checked before the pod. The only thing that he was saying was, Pascal posting up made me feel very comfortable. I, I was like, yes, do that. Because that takes away everything else that you want. If you're hearing that from other fan bases, it's like when we have something where it's like, okay, well, if, if we're going to die, and it, we tried to die by the, the Marcus Smart corner threes, I'll live with Marcus Smart killing the Raptors, okay? That's, it, it, you want, you have to pick and choose in this league now. Now, their defense wasn't great to start. Um, it's going to get better. Nick Nurse is going to have adjustments. I, again, their three best players, if they just get back to where they normally are, is going to put them in a good position. I just like Pascal moving, and that's why I want the ball in his hands. And I think that the two guards that they have, I think that they did the, the Celtics every favor in the book by settling, by not playing quick enough, by not moving, by not getting, by not driving the lane, finding, finding new opportunities. I think that they did them a disservice. Okay, so, so, that, so that's my number two reason to panic, and that's guard play. And as much as Siakam has sort of been the de facto guy all year, the, the Raptors are driven by their guards. And when Lowry and Van Bleet are good, chances are they win. And when they're not, it, it, it doesn't look great. But Lowry and Van Bleet, more times than not, are awesome because they're awesome players. The guard play is concerning from the standpoint of, was this an off game 
or is this the result of the Celtics' size? Because the Celtics Could have be. the Celtics don't have bigs. You know, I, I like Robert Williams as much as the next guy. I genuinely do. I like but Tice they're, as but much they're as not, the next guy. But they're not they're small. They're not big. They're not big. But they're not small. But, but they're big on the wings. Exactly. And I wonder if someone like Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown bothered those guys. So that that's one thing. And, and then let's flip guard play to defense. Nick Nurse had an interesting strategy of dealing with Jason Tatum. And I can't complain because it may have worked, right? But I think as the game went on, Jason Tatum started to get more and more comfortable with what was going on. Well, he had Lowry on. Yes. It was Lowry so, guarding him. So the Raptors went with Lowry to guard him first. I think he did a pretty darn good job. But the problem is when you're 6'7", six, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, 6'10", however tall Jason Tatum is, eventually the short guy irritating you, you can sort out. We saw this with Chris Paul guarding Kevin Durant three, four, five years ago. Okay, eventually the big guy figures it out. You have your best defensive player, and honestly a guy who should have made an all-defensive team, is OG Ananobi. This guy is, is carbon copy. He is someone you would build in a lab to guard someone like Jason Tatum. Why are we overthinking this? Because if we're asking someone like Kyle Lowry, now maybe Nick Nurse saw that Kyle wasn't engaged and putting him on someone as good as Tatum was a way to get him engaged. It didn't work. So why, why are we going down that road when we have, we, have, we, we have a Camaro ready for this right here? Ananobi's ready. This is what he does. Let him, let him do his best to neutralize someone like Tatum. And then, you, then it comes down to your guards got to beat their guards. So I know Brown's technically a forward, but Kemba and Brown and it's Van Vliet and Lowry. So if OG can find a way to – and Tatum's never going to score zero wins. But you have a better chance with someone like OG guarding him. He was made for this. This is the whole point. This is the whole reason you drafted Why are yeah, we getting and you, and you complicated? Can, and you can put Pascal on Brown. And run you absolutely can. Yeah. Absolutely can. And then you have Lowry guard smart, and you have Fred chase Campbell around the same way chase Steph Curry around. Yep. And that's an adjustment. We're talking adjustments. The guard play, I think we need to make an adjustment there. Jason Tatum is too good. The only reason OG Ananobi should not be guarding Jason Tatum is A, if he has foul trouble, or B, we're doing that thing where we're going uber small and he has to play the four or the five. He's too strong not to be guarding someone as good as Tatum. That is an adjustment I would make, but the guard play is definitely a reason to panic. So that's reason to panic number two. Do you have a third? I do. Would you like to get to it? Yes. Okay. So the Toronto Raptors this season were an amazing, amazing defense. And what we've seen, and we've talked about this before, is there's been a trend to amazing defenses who, are, who let specific players on other teams take corner threes. It was... Very, very evident that the Raptors were more than willing to let Brad Wanamaker, Marcus Smart, Semi Ojale, those guys bombs away from three. Particularly, well, they actually, sorry to cut you off, Ian, they actually gave up the most corner threes in NBA history to yes. the Toronto Raptors. And that they, was they on, lived by that. And that was on purpose. So, is this going to work? Now, we have a, we have a massive sample size of it working during the regular season. But how often, because I love Marcus Smart. That dude is a freaking baller. I love that guy, okay? How much are we going to let these guys take warm-up jumpers from the corners? Because it's one thing if it's semi-contested. These were warm-up 
warm-up jumpers. So that to me was a cause of concern with, okay, is this strategy really going to work? And if it is, that means we're relying on those guys to miss most of the time. So in game two, are we going to see them miss or are we going to see an adjustment? I think that you're going to see them miss. I don't think you're going to see an adjustment. And that's because Marcus Smart literally shot the lights out. I think Jack Armstrong was having an absolute heart attack counting in the second half how many corner threes that they had hit. It was like six of seven in the first half. He's like, now it's seven of eight. Now it's eight of nine. Now it's nine of ten. And it's like, I think you're going to see them miss. I do. I don't. I don't well, think they're going to. They're going to abandon their strategy. And I, and I. I agree with you. I think that they're. Listen. There's. They don't need to reinvent the freaking wheel here. This. They know what they. They are better than this. This isn't going to be. This was never going to be a short series. Boston got the upper hand to start, and I think that you're going to see a much more engaged Toronto Raptors team in Game Two. I expect that they are going to get better play from the three best players on their team. And we've seen through the entire bubble, through the entire season, that with a lot of teams, like you got like Luka Doncic and Porzingis and stuff, and some, a little bit of Tim Hardaway Jr., it's when they win, it's those guys carrying it. The Raptors are very unique, where it's like, okay, they won and it was Freddie and Siakam. Oh, they won and it was Lowry and Ibaka. They won and it was Marcus Gasol and Lowry. It's like a combination of two of them go off because they are so versatile and they're so unique. Listen, they're half-court offense. We've been talking about it a lot. Talked about it with Chris Walder. Talked about it with Anthony Bruno. It's a concern. It's a concern. It is. It's a concern. But, but they have pieces, experienced pieces to fix it. And this is where I get to now is asking you, Mr. Raptor fan, what is your prediction for the rest of the series? Well, let me just say this about Marcus Smart. Everyone likes to trash him because he can't shoot. He shot thirty, just under he shot thirty-five, just under thirty-five percent on over six threes a game. Okay, this isn't the twenty-nine percent three-point shooter anymore. It's not. It's not okay? Jimmy Butler. I know. Yes, yeah. it is. It is time to actually guard. And I and as I said, I, I love Marcus Smart, man. I, I think I think he is Boston's most important player. And, you know, outside of Tatum, I just think that what he does, what he does brings them to a different level. Um, I had before the series, I had Celtics in six. And my main, I, I don't, obviously game one is not going to sway me from that. Um, I worry about, I think, I, I worry about how our little guards are going to handle their wing size. I really do. So with that said, that's, that, that's sort of where I'll lean. But look, like, to count the Raptors out is being irresponsible. So the Raptors could come out tomorrow, guns blazing, and smash Boston tomorrow, and I'm not surprised at all. So this prediction was hard. Um, I, as I said, I did it before the game on Sunday. I, I just don't love this matchup, and I said that to Chris Walder. I don't like it. I know you don't, and you and I have argued about this, and I thought Milwaukee was the harder matchup. To me, it's going seven. Where it goes from there? I'll tell you after game six. Well, you know what? Then I, those two, as Walder said, our two fan bases, the Celtics and the Raptors, deserve seven because these are two amazing teams that should have met before. And we as fans, we as the, the basketball universe deserves a seven-game Raptors-Celtics series. Well, Boston and Toronto, they may not have played in basketball, but they go seven a lot in a lot of other sports. Very true. But let's move to... But let's broader. not put that. Let's not put that juju out there. Let's not put that that Leafs 
you know, poop are you bed. kidding me? They're they're owned by the they're owned by the same company. They're no, owned by the not, same organization. They are let's not, not put that the out same, there. Okay? Let's not put that. We, out there. The Raptors have men. Okay, we're talking. Oh, boys. one last comment that I forgot. I almost forgot. I don't know if I'm the only one who feels this way. So if I am the only one, I'm sorry. If I'm not, hit hit us up in the comments. Hit us up, DM us, whatever, because I'm interested to know. I almost don't like it when Serge is going berserk in the first quarter because then all that dude wants to do is shoot. Like he came out and it was like, and he's like, whap. And you're like, okay, Serge has got the juice. And then another three, whap. Like this is good. And then he hits another one. You're like, oh shit, this is bad. Because he wasn't moving the ball at all. I'm telling you. Started to stick with him. I'm now again, he's, he was kind of channeling his game seven Philly series. No one else wants to shoot out here but Kawhi and me, so I'm just going to keep shooting. I'm honestly watching in bed with Kayla, and I she's she's asleep. Right, we had a long weekend. Kids are asleep. It's nap time, and I'm like, this guy is irrational confidence right now. He is going to think that he is taking us to the promised land, and it's over at that point. Now, their defense picked up in the second quarter, and it was one of those like, oh, they're coming back. It's happening. They just couldn't hit shots. Couldn't hit shots. No, I agree. So I, I, to, I, to the Raptor fan base, to Ian, to the Raptor fan base, to me, R-E-L-A-X, relax. Yeah, if I lose, agree. If they, if they lose tomorrow, which is today when the podcast comes out, we'll have another conversation. Freddie, Freddie missed some, like, for him, those are, like, automatic missed, Some looks, past, some looks. The one, legit missed bunnies. Here's my last thing, and I promise we'll move on. <laughs> you don't have to. It's your podcast, man. Stop driving the basket, jumping, and then trying to make a pass. Stop doing that. Allen Iverson used to do that. And God bless Allen Iverson. This is why he was turning the ball over all the time. Stop doing that. When you jump and get in the air, the defenders run to their guys and force you to make a difficult decision. Stop doing that. You're too smart for that. Be sound. Be solid. And let's go. Enough of this. Ian. The Clippers have moved on from the Mavericks after Christoph Porzingis mm-hmm. tore his meniscus in his other knee. Yeah, that's a concern. What do you? I, I have two questions for you. Give me, give me thirty seconds on Luca. Yeah. What do you expect of the Clippers moving forward? You want me to go Luca first? Yeah, I do because he deserves it. I think we are watching. We are watching the baton being passed. And, you know, LeBron is sort of holding on right now to his unbelievable greatness and him being the best player in the league. But within the next 18 months, we're going to be talking about Luka Doncic as the best player in the NBA. How that guy does it without crazy athleticism or even a a consistent three-point shot. That guy gets to his spots. That guy is a killer. He makes his teammates better. I adore that man. And the thing I love most about him, when all this clowning nonsense was happening with Morris and all the other guys, that guy wants it. That guy wants it. And he doesn't back down from anyone. I adore that guy. In fact, me and my wife are thinking of naming, if we have a son, naming him Luca. True story. He is going to win an NBA title one, one, one year. It's going to happen. He has the killer instinct. It's he's going to be to an happen. MVP before 25. He's, he's going to be an MVP. I agree with that. I, I admittedly did not watch enough of Luca. I've watched a lot of him in the bubble. And I called you about this. 
he is remarkably unremarkable in the most beautiful way possible. You watch him and it's like, how is he? He's not fast. You're like, whose dad is that? He's, he's not overly strong. He's not too tall. And it's like, oh, he just got to his spot and made the shot. Oh, he got in there and he made a ridiculous pass that you would think that he makes it everything. He makes the game of basketball look easy. I don't love Chris Stapps with him. I don't love that as, as his running mate. I would love him with, with a more versatile wing and with um, Jason with Tatum. Some, with, with some oh, be ridiculous, with some quick, with some quicker, uh, with some quicker uh, big men. But- I see. I, I don't agree with that. The only reason I don't like the Kristaps pairing with him is because Kristaps can't stay on the court. I think having a an athletic big like Porzingis who can protect the rim, shoot the three, and and dive hard to the bucket for lobs in the pick and roll is very effective for Luca when he's finding shooters. That just doesn't help you when he's not on the court. Yeah, but I right? think you can get that. I think you can get that with Brook Lopez. You don't need that with with your with your second running mate. I think that you need for him. You need your second running mate to be an absolute lockdown defender. What what we Lopez think, isn't Paul, rolling. What like we KP. think. What we think. KP is you know Charmin soft. Okay. What we we're thinking. You would want like a lock. Like what we think Paul George is is what I would look at for a guy for Luca. But what to me for the Clippers. I think that this exposed them, but I still think that they're the favorites in the West. Uh, I think it tested them, and I think if anything, what I that's a good know, way to put it. Good way to put it. You know, this happened to LeBron, right? This happened to LeBron, and when he was in the East, you know, and everyone says the East was 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 terrible, and you know, maybe in the first round it was, but after that, it got tricky. And when he would just ran, run through everyone, you know, I, I'm not sure for him it wasn't a problem. But for some of the role guys to get the rhythm, I think there were times that they struggle with that. Particularly, you know, Kevin Love never really found his footing in that regard. So, I, you know, if I'm a Clipper fan, I'm sort of intrigued by the fact that um, – I'm intrigued by the fact that they got tested. Now they get to move on. And, you know, Denver or Utah, we don't know. But I, I think they're tested now. And I, I like the Clippers personally to win the title. And, and let me just get this out of the way. I know that as someone who is on a podcast, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be completely objective. But I can't stand them. I love Kawhi. I, I want Kawhi them. to win every game. <laughs> but between between Marcus Morris and I'm going to get to him in a second, Reggie Jackson. Um, I, I'm fine with Lou. I'm not the big. I'm not a big Paul George fan. I'm not a big Harold fan. Um, you know these guys. You know Pat Bev. Patrick Patterson is another punk too. I can't stand those guys, but you know, I want the best for Kawhi always. And let's use this to transition to Marcus Morris because I have not seen anything today and I could be wrong because I was taking a Twitter hiatus today to, to lick my wounds from yesterday. And I never saw if there was any supplemental discipline for Marcus Morris. There wasn't. And that is absolutely, and that is absolutely disgusting. That is one of the dirtiest plays I've seen in an NBA basketball game since the Zaza Pachulia play. I think that is, you have to, when that you take it into context, it is repulsive. The context of what yeah. head injuries are now, the context of who it was, the, the, well, the what fact happened that the it game was before? completely unnecessary. And how, oh, and he's like, oh, I didn't mean to step on his ankle. Bullshit. Bullshit. How can you say I never do anything dirty and then karate chop a guy in the back of the head? You're a garbage human. You're a garbage basketball player. And honestly, 
Honestly, I hope you never win another game. Well, they're going to. They're going to win lots of them. Um, it, it was it was bad. It was bad. It was bad. It, it was, and he it was he deserved he deserved it. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. You know who who they who they end up playing, and we have a game seven tomorrow. We have uh, we have Denver, and we we have uh, and we have Utah. Utah was in a commanding lead, mm-hmm. and Jamal Murray decided that I'm the best player on the planet, and I'm going to take this matchup with Spider Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell, and use this as ammo. That's been amazing to watch. Oh my! It God. has been incredible. Yeah, just and, two guards, just two guards going shot for shot. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You know what it's like? You know what it's like? You, you're a golf guy. You know when golf gets to a, a playoff hole or playoff round or whatever, they play off a few holes, and guys are going to the tee, and they're going shot for shot. One guy puts it left side of the fairway. One guy puts it right side of the fairway. Both hit greater poachers. Both hit the putt. That's how it feels. It's like... Jamal's like, okay, uh, take this in your face. Well, it has, it has the – Like, take this in your face. Has it's the Roy, Has the Rory McIlroy, Patrick Reed feel from the Ryder Cup four it's years unbelie- ago? It's and unbelievable. It's, it's incredible. And uh, I want to commend – I want to commend Jamal Murray because that interview post-game was something that could not have been easy. After going to battle, going to war with your season on the line, with everything hanging in the balance – and to be able to get through that on national television, I'm sure wasn't easy. And a uh, fellow Canadian who shouted out the fact, something that I brought up on our, I believe, our very first podcast. This shit doesn't just exist in the United States, guys. It's everywhere. No, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. So let me go ahead. Go ahead. The other thing I want to give, on. yeah, the other thing I want to give Jamal Murray credit on is he was a really easy target to pick on because, you know, Jokic is sort of, an NBA darling, and he should be. I mean, he's the best passing big man ever. He's extremely gifted. He brings it all the time. He's underrated on defense. He's awesome. And Jamal Murray, because of his inconsistency, was one of these guys that was easy to pick on. And when the season was on the line, he's throwing up 50 pieces in your face. And this is a vindication for someone like Jamal. And, you know, we saw him at the Biosteel All-Canadian all those years ago, and I thought he looked like Darren Williams. He was and so good. <laughs> he is he's he's unbelievable. And and the best part is not only not only is he an amazing basketball player throwing up 50 pieces, he's an amazing person. So all in all, I, I'm gonna be so disappointed with whoever loses because I think both teams have just been awesome. I mean, we are watching, you know, for the earliest time, you know, Donovan Mitchell was, oh, you know, he looks like Dwayne Wade, but he it was never really there. He looks like Dwayne Wade now. Can't defend like Wade, but man, can he score. Ooh. Ian, Milwaukee, Miami. That's a series we know. It's coming. It's happening tomorrow. I have – there has been a lot of buzz. I know you haven't been on Twitter. There's been a lot of buzz. Everyone's picking Miami. Everyone's got Miami. And I challenged you not to look at the score tonight, and I have not. I got Milwaukee here. I know that they got the, the Giannis stopper and Bam, and Jimmy Butler is, you know, the head – Poncho of everything that comes with with being an alpha dog in the NBA, even though he hasn't done shit when it comes to winning. Nope. I got Milwaukee, and I don't really think it's close. I know Miami can throw a lot of different looks. They're going to be a tough out. It's not going to be a quick series. I have Milwaukee instead. Because I think two of the games that they lose is like Duncan Robinson 
I understand. I understand the Miami love. I get it. Um, I think, I think Milwaukee takes this because I think Giannis is not going to let them lose. I thought you had Miami for sure. um, No. And look, I I think honestly, it's going to come down to guard play. And I think, and you know, it's, I'm always talking about guard play when Milwaukee dumped and didn't re-sign Brogdon, there would come a time where another team would come calling and be like, that may have been a mistake because are we going to get, you know, playoff Eric Bledsoe or are we going to get effective, effective Eric Bledsoe? That's a big and, one. Yeah. And, you know, the, the combination of Bledsoe, George Hill, Middleton, and that outplay Robinson, Butler, Dragic. And that's tight. That's really tight. And, you know, everyone's talking about Tyler Hero. Come on, man. I think Tyler Hero is a nice player. If you think he's, if you think that he's going to be the piece that swings the series, I think he could have some moments. He's not swinging the series. This is going to come down to that group. And the group is, it's Butler, Dragic, Robinson. And on the other side, Bledsoe, Hill, Middleton. Who's going to win that battle? Because Giannis and Bam are going to go head to head, and they're well, going to Giannis, is, Giannis is winning his battle, so it's just like, are, are you going to win the other battle? And I think right. the wings, the wings from Miami are very good, and their coaching is incredible. So I, I give Spo the the oh yeah, I got Spo the edge too. I give Spo the edge over Bud playoff Bud. Hashtag. To me, honestly, it goes seven, or Milwaukee trounces them in four. I, I just don't see there's any other scenario. I again either I like, a dogfight or an absolute shit kicking. I like six where my where Milwaukee wins like three of the four games they win, they win by like double digits. And then the two games that they lose, it's like, oh shit. Like okay, Duncan Robinson hit 12 threes. Tyler Hero was was going nuts. They have Andre Iguodala made gave problems to Giannis, or you know, he tried doing his three-point shooting thing that he does sometimes. Like that, that's where I see it. And okay. I got Milwaukee in six. I know it said it's probably not really close. That's what I mean by it. It's just like four of the games aren't close, and two of them are very close where Miami comes out and wins. Did you just put the score? They're losing? Miami's winning. In a, clo- in a close game. That's what I'm 111, saying. 111, 104. Milwaukee, Milwaukee in six. We have to move on because we got two more quick topics. The Toronto Maple Leafs. God, what a staple on this podcast. The Toronto Maple Leafs made a trade. Ian, I have the trade in front of me. Do you know what the trade was off by heart? Off by heart? No, I'm not psycho. You want to try? So the main parts of the trade, the piece that matter is capping into Pittsburgh and the first round pick number 15 going back to the Leafs along with Philip Hollander, the center from Sweden. I'm so Those happy. That, I'm that so happy that you tried. It was Kasperi Kapanen along with Jesper Lindgren, the defenseman, right, right-handed defenseman. We don't need any of those. And winger Pontus Auberg, bit of a journeyman in the NHL, cool. for the 15th overall pick in the 2020 draft. And they got that Evan, Rodriguez kid too. Yeah, Evan Rodriguez, Philip Hollander, and defenseman David Warsawski. Sure. Who won, who won the deal? The Leafs in a landslide. And let, let me explain. Uh, do I think that Kasperi Kapanen helps the Pittsburgh Penguins win games? I do. I think that I think that Kapanen is, a, is an effective penalty killer. I think in the right situation, he may be able to get you 15, 20 goals. He's got game-breaking speed. 
and he can be a nuisance. The problem with Kapanen is there's there's two problems. Sorry, there's three problems. One, for what this team needs, he makes too much money. That's number one. Number two, he is more so, he is all action, no result. So he does a lot of stuff. He's always doing stuff, but there's, <laughs> there's no result. There's no result. There's no, there's no impact. Like so, getting a breakaway in a play-in game and t- curling back? Yeah, like that? Yeah. Or, or, you know, he's going crazy and he's, you know, he's skating around and like being all wild. But then he gets the puck and skates into the corner. And I'm sorry that that's just not going to work. And the third reason why, why he needed to go is because he is redundant. And the Leafs, you talked about $10 million third line that none of whom complimented each other. They were all the same sort of player. And unfortunately, that's not a luxury you can have. So the fact that they called around the league, Kyle Dubas called around the league and said, hey, this guy's available, but I want your first round pick. And everyone he called told him to sod off. With the exception of Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh was like, yeah, we'll definitely give you our first round pick for sure. And then what we'll do is we'll give you a center prospect we actually kind of (laughs) like. How's that? And Dubas is like, did I just win a trade? Yeah, he literally. Oh my called, God, I just want to trade. He called six. You're going to get into, but you're going to get into what the most important part of this trade is because the most important part of this trade hasn't happened yet. I agree 100%. And that goes back to what you have mentioned on this podcast before, Ian, is the Patrick Marlowe deal from last year, the Zaitsev deal from last year, where they got off money, dead money that they needed to move. What are you going to do with it? What is going to be filled in those spots? Last year, it was to give Andreas Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen a combined almost $7 million. That didn't work. That did not work. So what are you going to do with it? If they tender a qualifying offer to Evan Rodriguez at $2 million, I might end the podcast. I'm just going to be on here screaming and swearing. I do like, like him, though. I like him. Not at $2 million. No, I like seven hundred thousand. Bottom cool. six forward. The Leafs won this deal. With that said, pending, pending. They are. They have. And this is the thing. I I don't like the win and the lot. You're right. It's pending. They they're very. There's a lot of rumors that they're going to flip that pick. They should be if, flipping the pick. It, they should be flipping it if it's something that they can use. They also don't have anyone in their farm system, so it does make sense for them to actually use the pick to take someone of of consequence. My my thing with Kapanen is, to Leaf fans, do not start freaking out when this guy scores 25 goals next year, okay? When he has 25 goals and 45 points because he's playing on a line with Evgeny Malkin or Sidney Crosby, chill. Chill out. He was not helping this team. He was doing good things, but to your point, Ian, it was a lot of fluff. It was stuff that we did not need. I had an argument with someone a week ago. that he, They were trying to make the argument that Kasperi Kapanen was our third best player. Uh, this is not reality, guys. It's not reality. Kapanen is a nice young player. He brings a lot of a lot of pieces that you want. A lot of this. Apparently, the intangibles weren't there because the guy has been suspended twice by Keith. Okay. With all of that said, it comes down to what they do with it. They need defensive help. They are not done. Frederick Anderson is most likely not on this team next year. He shouldn't be. 
He's most likely not on the team. And I, and I love Freddie. I love Freddie. Guy was downright average this year. He has one year left on his deal. They need better from that spot. If you want this team, this is just the first step of many, guys. It's the first step of many. And the many might end up being marginal pieces around the edges, which for a team like this could make all the difference. Because marginal pieces around the edges could be the difference between winning and losing. Because they already have the talent to do stuff. They need the marginal pieces. And I am excited to see where it goes. I expect that we are going to be able to talk about this a lot more. Ian? One, one more hockey note. If you're a Leaf fan. Like you aren't. No, if you're a Leaf fan, I'm a fan. But if you're a Leaf fan, do you see what the Islanders are doing? And are you just like, what the hell? Yes, is the answer. Yes. Because. Is that it? That's the only question? They're unbelievable. It is depressing. It's depressing. They suck. And yet they are so good. Does that make sense? Yeah, they have the they have some horrible contracts, and they're so good because oh, yeah. they they fit the puzzle pieces fit. They do. Um, so uh, the last thing I the last thing that you wanted to talk about, I do was was uh, Major League Baseball, which we have, have to, un- which I have unsubscribed from, but I will play this game with you. And you want to talk about the fact that it was trade deadline day today, and the Toronto Blue Jays, who in these situations are typically very silent under one Mark Shapiro. We're eerily active. So, Sean, give me a grade on today. No thinking, just give me a grade. Uh, B. And, I, okay. and I'm, I'm, Show bringing, I'm bringing in last week's acquisitions to the conversation. So they added, Ty, they added Taiwan Walker. They added Don Vogelbeck. Dan Vogelbeck, sorry. Uh, they added Villar. They added Robbie Ray. And they added Ross Stripling. So, obviously, a premium on pitching. The team is currently in a playoff spot. A what, playoff what did they spot give up? Quotations. What did they give uh, up? A lot of cash, a lot of players to be named later, and a reliever. They, That's they the did important not, bit. They're they getting did not players give up anything. Nothing. Right. They correct. did. Now, the only player that they got, who I believe was only two, because I think Pilar is under contract as well. Don't don't quote me on that. The only player who's under club control past this season, again, I haven't checked on Pilar, is Ross Stripling who is a very, very good pitcher. Now, I thought he was younger, and he has been bad this year. But I really like that get. Now, I don't know what they're going to do because they have Hinge and Ryu's in the rotation. That's set. They have Chase Anderson, who's been very good. They have um, Tanner Roerker they just gave all his money to. Okay? So they have those three guys in stone. Uh, they have Nate Pearson coming back. He's going to play. So now you have this hodgepodge of Matt Shoemaker is coming back from injury, who they like. Ross Stripling now, Robbie Ray, uh, Taiwan Walker. Who Taiwan Walker is going to pitch. So I don't know what they're going to do. Now, I know you want more arms than less. I give it a B because I really like the, the Villar, Walker, and Stripling deals. Even though Walker is not potentially won't be here long term. Vogelbeck and Robbie Ray. Yuck. So Yuck. let me walk you through who is signed for what. Ty Walker is a free agent at the end of the year. Yes. Um, 
we Vogelbeck, Vogelbach, he has ARB. Great. Whatever that will be. He's, he's batting 0.05, so not much. Then you're talking um, the other guys, it looks like all are free agents as well. So I'm not even sure that you get term with stripling. So, hey, I mean, if you gave up nothing and you get, you know, a playoff run, I mean, why do you care? Why do you care if they're free agents at the end of the year? Let someone else pay their salary. Yeah, you don't care. Again, um, striplings are eligible for the next two years. That I know for sure. So, so at least they have control in some capacity over that. And again, I've been a big fan of his for a long time. And maybe I've got a Dodger colored glasses on because they always have good players. He's very close with Hinge and Ryu. Um, you know, I gave it a B because, again, they got serviceable players to help with their current run. But, again... They had some misses here. Right, yeah, he's, too, he's he's ARB eligible for two years. Yes, no, I know that. And listen, like Robbie Ray, Christ, the guy hasn't been good for three years. He was great in 2017 where he's an all-star, 15 and five. It, it, he was very, very good. But you and I both know, issues. you and I both know with relievers, you and I both know relievers. He's a starter. Just, yeah, he's not going to be a starter. He's not going to be a starter for this team though. They, brought, I, him in to, they brought him in to be a starter right now. Well, then I can't help you. No, you can't because that's why it's not an A because they have these 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 misses and you got Vladdy. And listen, to the Blue Jays' credit, the only people that are chasing them for that final playoff spot are two teams that do not actually want to make the playoffs, which is the Detroit Tigers and the Baltimore Orioles. And to your credit, when we did our baseball preview, I said that Boston at the worst would finish fourth and most likely would finish third. And they are very much not finishing there. What is going on with your boys before we sign off? Well, they're garbage. And ownership, management, everyone should be ashamed of themselves. And, you know, did was was John Henry smart enough to see the fact that this roster was going to decline so fast, so trading Mookie Betts was smart? <laughs> I don't get it. Cut that. Like, get that nonsense out of here. Okay, People are you, saying that? You gave away you gave away the second or third best player in baseball, the best position player you've ever had for for what exactly? So this is the worst pitching staff that has ever been assembled in the team's history. This is an embarrassment from from top to bottom. You won the World Series two years ago. There's just there's no excuse for this team to be this poor. And I said to you on the first pod, they're because of the fact that A, they could trade everyone, or B, there's just genuine, I don't give a damn what happens with the season from the Red Sox players. They can finish last in that division. It's not out of the question. They're going to. They're going to. And you know what? I've, I'm excited for the Jays. Uh, only By the way, this- they, miss, they miss Cora. Because Alex Cora, yeah. Alex Cora was a phenomenal manager. And he would have been able to at least get the best out of this group. And I thought it was premature when they fired him. I'll, I'll still never understand it. And it felt like peer pressure to me. And they're paying the consequences right now. And if they wouldn't, if he couldn't get the best out of them, he would cheat to make sure that he could. So this has been, it's been a heavy podcast, Ian. It's been a lot to cover. 
I'm excited um, for the Jays youngsters to have an opportunity to play real baseball games that matter, even though they're not going to do anything with it. It's good for experience. I'm excited to see what happens with the Leafs offseason. And I'm excited for a bounce back from the Toronto Raptors. RIP the coach, John Thompson. Sign him off, buddy. Well, I, it was a heavy week for a lot of reasons. Um, none should be overshadowed as much as the passing of a legend in Chadwick Bozeman, someone that affected so many lives and someone that brought life to characters and gave kids and people all over the world someone to really look up to. And Chadwick, from all accounts, was an amazing person. And I was stunned when it happened. I'm still not over it. And it's just been a really tough year. And, you know, our thoughts go out to Chadwick's family, his friends, and Wakanda forever. Forever.